Chapter 49. Meet the Parents. You have an opportunity for claiming the planet? Wayne mused. It might not be the disaster. It could be, since you were savvy enough to dedicate the shrine to the entire pantheon. But how would the other pantheons on Talum react? The sea are restricted to a single planet for a reason. But are they really restricted to just Talum? I asked. The Summerlands is their domain, and because they control the magics that are contained there, they really have access to all worlds. And would they even know if the theories about the dungeons forming via gateways between the Summerlands are true? A connection to new worlds and dimensions each time a dungeon forms. Then this is a different dimension, another multiverse. Why would the restrictions and treaties placed on the sea in that universe be applicable to this one? I wondered. It has to do with the nature of the gods and the multiverse, she replied. Yes, the sea have access to the Summerlands, a nexus that connects all places, times, and realities. And because of that nexus, the sea gods are unique. There aren't multiple incarnations of each god like there are for other pantheons. There is only one Danu, one sea pantheon, that uses the Summerland Nexus to traverse and enter all realities. Other gods are not able to do this. Zeus on this world and the Zeus in the Talim realm are reflections and shadows of the universal concept Zeus. They can't influence or interact with each incarnation. Each is bound by tenets that are similar. But there is a difference, a uniqueness that empowers and restricts dominion to their sphere of influence, she explained. But the Tuatha de Dinan, all incarnations are simply dreams and thoughts of the original, each dream manifested and controlled by one mind and one will. For the other gods, each incarnation is a unique and separate being. This means these derivative gods have unique experiences. Their individuality makes it impossible for them to share knowledge. I don't know for a fact that the other pantheons exist in this place, but if they do, I'm sure they are aware of the limitations that have been imposed on the sea only because this world interacts with the Summerlands. Those gods of the Talim universe have been tasked as the gatekeepers, the first line of defence against the sea. You might consider Zeus or Odin in that multiverse as Alpha Zeus or Alpha Odin. Those found in all other dimensions and universes are reflections each a branch that leads to the fountainhead. I've seen no hint that any of the pantheons that have joined together in our home dimension to restrict the sea exist in this dimension. But what we know comes from the research we've managed to complete using the internet. We have been working on the premise that this is a dungeon, a pocket dimension at best, but that may not be the case. Our research into Earth, of course, 
included delving into studies that attempted to understand the religions. We despaired, finding it confounding that these people would exhibit such diametrically opposing philosophies. What is it that allows these people to combine acts of altruism with acts of self-indulgence and cruelty? Why would their motivations often lead to moments of great destruction? Wayne asked. For the most part, the people of Earth practice a religion that is monotheistic. They worship one God, the Father that created everything this is. He is omnipotent and omnipresent, all-powerful. He has based his theocracy on free will. He would have his creations come to him of their own volition. There are folk tales and myths about the great pantheons, the pantheons we are familiar with, but these are caricatures at best. The gods in this world have been relegated as vehicles of entertainment, fantasies that people scoff at, even as they delight in tirelessly creating fictional representation for the public to consume, Wayne suggested. You think if I claim this planet, that the ramifications remain localized and fail to manifest or expand across dimensions, Talum and the sea gods will remain unaffected? I asked, inferring from her speech that she was leaning toward this notion. I don't like that my choices seem to be limited. Limited choices are tantamount to no real choice. Not if I'm concerned about what happens to the people on this planet. And there is no other interpretation than to conclude that this is another planet in another universe. I'm not sure I could abandon this world, I lamented. If I decide not to claim this planet, what does that mean for system integration and the ramifications of those living here? I need to remember, too, that I have a quest that must be satisfied. And what the ramifications are for claiming this planet are to that quest. If the planetary population falls by more than 20%, both this planet and Talum may be trapped in a system-created feedback loop, an oscillating effect that ends in the catastrophic events, I informed the Duchess. System has already warned me the penalty of failing that quest is the destruction of both planets, I continued sharing with Duchess Wayne, my largest concern. I was petrified that the wrong choice would destroy my past and present home. The destruction of Talon would mean extinction for all sea. There were times when being able to see the future would come in handy. Because I couldn't, I vacillated. I was afraid of making any decision. Claim the planet and maybe migrate the damage system integration might pose. Claim the planet and possibly have the sea thrust into a war for survival on Talon, for breaching the restrictions about expansion. Or not claim the planet and leave everything up to fate. Trust that what would happen to this world and the people was survivable. That a planet with a population that was familiar with games and systems would flourish. That they had the ability to deal with the aftermath of system integration without my help or guidance. 
being able to speak with Danu Belaros, even Cryonax now, would really be helpful, I thought. A random thought, innocent, but prophetic in nature. There is an old earth expression, be careful what you wish for, because you just might get it. But sometimes, what you wish for is exactly what you need, and it pays to make that wish. I was in a scythern, a place of sea magic, a sea creation blessed by Danu and invested with powers of the wild magic. Wild magic that had seemed to favor me almost from the moment I stepped out of the Ascension Chamber. In this Scythern, I had imposed my will, shared my blood, and seeded the Scythern with selenium. I had introduced the aspects and domains of Cryonax and Belaros, thereby generating an environment that allowed for winter and summer to follow the natural order. Perpetual spring had been replaced the balance and cycle of nature restored. I had yet to claim this scythern, but the elements, the bones of construction, the very roots that lay the framework for what was and what would be, were mine. Mine to sculpt, mine to command. And the powers of the wild magic answered my private wish. Selenium, that had been used as a base to support sanctuary, and the altar once more began to flow statuary forming until a triad of individuals became sculpted perfection. Magic, god particles, nature, life, all gathered to coalesce, forces that were drawn to these new selenium avatars until finally they became the goddess Danu, the Earth Mother, she from whom all life had originated, she who represented fertility, Fecundate, made manifest. Bare breasts, heavy with the milk, that would feed nations. She was a duality of nature. She represented a sensuality that beckoned and enticed, and a steadfastness that promised safe harbor and comfort. The god Belaros, the sun god, his countenance made the crops grow, gave light and warmth to the plants and destroyed the shadows. He was a bulwark of strength that stood in perpetuity against the terrors of the night. He was the wellspring, the primogenitor of life, for without his countenance, there could be no growth. He gave impetus to evolution and constrained even the laws of time to follow the course he steered through the heavens. His countenance rose each morning to define the passing of time. Seasons passing as seconds, minutes, and years. The god Cryonax, the ice god, the fury of winter tempered by the beauty of glistening snowflake perfection. Silent blankets of white wonder offering peace and serenity. A chance to heal and sleep for those that have borne the burdens of time, age, and war. His cold mane, a stark contrast to that peace he offered, a steward for the final arbiter. His was the last gasp of life that shepherded the demands of mortality. Into that peaceful oblivion, only death and reincarnation could offer. Together, they formed a trinity of power, birth, growth, death. 
unlike the Seely and Unseely, the petty politics and nationalism that both practiced were nothing more than woven threads of bigotry amongst all of Danu's children. This divine triad were fortresses of power, yin and yang of fire and ice, brandished by the enduring qualities of creation, a balance that all of existence itself was modeled after. Summer and winter would battle, but birth and renewal set clear boundaries that delineated their differences, the three of them working in concert, even when they were at war. Still, they were primal forces that strove to maintain that balance. Notions and concepts like good and evil could not define them. They were neither and both, each capable of great goodness or fearsome evil. Their true divinity was so overwhelming that if they really stretched forth their power to walk these lands, the molecules and atoms that tied reality to these primal forces would be ripped asunder. It is only in the summer lands that they could enjoin and manifest fully. Their presence here was a simple spark, the smallest fragment of the divine that was imbued with enough of their will and presence to create these pseudo-god constructs, dreams made real, infused with form and voice. Your concerns do you justice, as a son of Belaros and Cryonax. The voice of Danu reverberated, more a rumbling softness that reminded one of spring showers rather than violent thunderstorms. But it is too late to turn back time. The pantheons that would exploit the god particle, those that harnessed the energies from this realm to ease the transition to true godhood in the other, have broken the balance. They are perilously close to breaking the covenant and beginning the final battle. They risk Ragnarok, the final pruning. Their actions have already warranted our attention and our focus, Belaros continued, his voice more like music, an orchestral movement, his words a reflection of the genius of the great masters, Bach, Beethoven, and Mozart. Our sleep has been filled with nightmares, our powers and focus awakening, and expanding as their actions increase the likelihood of the final confrontation and of the cold embrace of death a death that comes for more than one universe. Cryonax claimed the severity of his voice, a dichotomy of dissonance and emotionless. That was the starker and more jarring when contrasted with the remnants of harmony and musicality that Daniel and Belaros had provided. The three had spoken at different moments, yet somehow their voices blended their words layering and blending into a coherent profusion of joy and sorrow. Three voices, one will. They were like-minded, resolute in their decision. And even though they weren't the gods incarnate, the divine spark that was present was powerful enough to warp the fabric of reality. They were the wellspring of my bloodline, the lineage that S-Prime had gifted or awoken I could trace my heritage to each of them. And yet, even as a son of gods and goddesses, their aura, the majesty they exhibited, 
even in their diminished capacity, was so great that I had to bolster my will with my own magic to keep from bowing under that pressure. They spoke, and as they spoke, as the very words vibrated and resonated, their words were infused with the power of the divine, each word a command, and I heard.